0: Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host,
1: the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross. Welcome to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hello, Jennifer.
2: Hi, how's it going?
1: It's going pretty well. How are you?
2: I'm stupendous. I'm very excited for this next segment of our of our four segment uh, story that we're doing I, right now.
1: I am too. And today we have in the studio Maddie and Heather. So prior to this, we were listening to their individual stories of how they came to be, and today we're going to hear their stories of coming together. So, hello, Maddie. Hello. Hi, Heather. Hello. Are you both super excited?
2: Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. So let's
1: jump right on in there. So last week we heard from Heather about her experiences. She and Robbie's experience of getting Maddie to their home. Uh, and the week before, again, Maddie was telling us about her experiences prior to coming to the Sakes. So now you're together. Tell us, what were the first few months like? How long were, for, I guess the first question, actually, how long were you, Maddie, in the Sakes home before you were adopted?
2: Um, About, like. Eight months, maybe eight months? six.
1: Okay. Yeah. So can you both talk to me about what were those first six to eight months like? Um what were your ex what did you think was happening when you came to their home and Heather, what did you think was happening when she came to yours?
2: Um well when I first got with them, we were going to Disney World, so I thought that, you know, I was gonna be able to like live with Cinderella and stuff. Oh, you thought you were
1: moving to Disney yeah, World?
2: Yeah, I was I was looking forward to it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: it did just so happen that we had a trip planned and that was part of why we had advocated it's so hard for her to get into our home quickly so that we could take her with us to Disney world. And they let her move in three days before we left. So it was hurry up and find some clothes, which of course were the wrong season for mm-hmm. going to Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, we thought this is not a good way to begin a relationship because she's going to really think that our whole life oh, yeah. is like Yeah, a trip those are some, some high World. expectations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly
1: what I'm thinking. This sounds like a great way to come into a family. <laughs> I wish that I'd gotten to go to Disney World before my parents adopted me, but apparently they didn't love me the same. So, <laughs> well, not everyone can do <laughs> that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so
0: it was a crazy way. And Maddie's the only kid we've had to start that way. But she did a great job on the trip. It's kind of a weird to thing to go across country with. Right. People you don't really know, you know, yeah. So, but she did great and um, we made lots of memories. We've gone again since then. So then it was not quite as stressful yeah. to take a kid you don't know somewhere.
1: So, Maddie, did you have super high expectations after Disney World? Did you think that that was going to be the, the life of luxury after that?
2: Um, yeah, because I've never, I've never been to Disney World before that. I've never even been like out of the state. So Uh going to Disney World kind of like really opened my eyes and I was like, this is going to be a cool family. We're going to do cool stuff. No school.
1: Uh All I was
2: wrong, but it was, it was, it was a good thought to have.
1: Yeah. And now Heather, correct me if I'm wrong, but taking a kid out of state at that time, was that easy or did you have to have legal permissions?
0: No, actually, up until this last year, um, in August of this year, it's it's been difficult. You have to have permission from the court because the kids are wards of the state, so the state's responsible for what happens to them. So you had to get permission from lots of people and get a travel letter that would prove that, that you the kid was legally with you and that you hadn't abducted them or taken them someplace else without permission. And so it was kind of a crazy yeah, process to get her uh, to be able to go with us. It was... Um, one of those big advocacy things that we had to do. And we had um an advocacy group, Foster Adopt Connect actually helped us with getting that to happen and helped us with paying for her plane ticket because it was so last minute. Oh, it wow. was super expensive. <clears throat> and so there were some programs at Foster Adopt Connect that helped take care of those things for us. And that was it was great because it really did set a good tone for like we're in this with you all the way. You don't yeah. really just take any random kid to Disney World. Right. If you gotta be Got to spend some money when you go to Disney World, right? So yeah, that, that's
1: really amazing, and that really does point to the character for you and Robbie. I know um, I've had a lot of experience with young people who've talked about that feeling of being left alone while the family goes on other vacations, and they they feel not part of it. So I think that that's a really cool experience. That not only did you take her to Disney World, but all the fighting you did and advocacy you did to get her to do that. So that's that's really cool. Okay, so you came back from Disney World, and then everything was rainbows and kittens, or? What, what did that look like?
0: It was not rainbows and kittens. She no? was a 10-year-old girl and didn't really... Um, we settled in. She had to go to school. We had, She had to take showers every day. She had some chores. And I think just like any other 10-year-old kid or any other kid, if you start your life at Disney World you think, Oh, I am a princess and I don't have to do any of this. Stuff. <laughs> and so we had some of the regular adjustment stuff into living with a family that has a lot of structure and a lot of kids. And so it wasn't too bad. Um, just the normal kind of growing pains of bringing someone into your home and helping them when they come from a different place, helping them assimilate like, this is how we do things here. Mm-hmm. And what kind of things matter to you and how do we incorporate what matters to you and what matters to us and come to a, Mm-hmm. Mutual meeting ground,
1: and so Heather, do you identify as Caucasian, white? I want to make sure I'm using yes. the right description. White Caucasian and Maddie, African American, black. Yep. Either one work. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> for you, Maddie, coming in as a black young lady into a white family, what was was that like? Were they your first white family?
2: Yeah. So were. what what
1: was that experience like when you first got there?
2: Um, going to Disney World, like I noticed that we got a lot of looks from people because mm-hmm. they couldn't put it together mm-hmm. um but i kind of ignored it because you know i was like had so much adrenaline like oh we're going to see cinderella today i don't even know who that is but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but coming home it was so different like especially you know going shopping for your clothes for school and right you would see like a whole bunch of people just like look us down and like mean mug us and because they just couldn't put it together and i kind of pulled back like kind of like oh maybe this wasn't the right place for me yeah like i don't know if i belong here i'm i don't like how people look at us uh but it, it did really change my views on the world and the way people see stuff and how they see stuff that really isn't how they see it but they mm-hmm. just you know assume mm-hmm. um and you know over the years i've kind of grown out of that like this is my family and i'm proud of it whether we're all yellow purple or were, you know colors of the rainbow it doesn't matter family's family
1: absolutely and back, i i remember oh, oh go ahead go well, ahead, JT. back
2: when you were having a hard time with that was there anybody that you shared those feelings with or was that just some stuff that was happening inside um it was mostly inside i did share a couple of them with um my mom and dad um i also had a therapist but i didn't really tell her she was african-american mm-hmm. um i didn't Feel like I didn't feel like she would understand mm-hmm. where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just mostly kept most of it inside.
0: What did your parents tell you whenever
2: you brought it up to them?
1: You're meaning Heather and Robbie? Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, They kind of just tell me to shake it off, basically. <laughs> um, and okay. Tell me that I mean, that's just how people are in the world. People see stuff differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Was that helpful for you?
2: At the moment, no.
1: Okay.
2: I was like can you just paint me white or paint yourself brown or do something? But, you know, I was also, like, small. I didn't understand anything that was going on in the world. I had never been with very many white people growing up. Mm -hmm. I was always with black people. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really weird to just be in that different environment.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So you're saying for you it really did hinder your ability to attach right away to them yeah. seeing that distinction and being 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Heather, do you feel like you noticed that in some of the ways that she interacted with you and Robbie?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think our, our family has always been blended. So there were two other African American, actually I think there were five other African American kids when Maddie came to live with us and two Caucasian kids. And so um, I don't, I don't really operate on color mm-hmm. uh, because that's always been kind of a, th- Thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm aware of that as far as my role in helping them stay connected culturally and making sure they understand and being proud of where they come from. Maddie also has a strong Native American background in her okay. and so her and Molly both. And so that is another component that we we learn about and we address and we kind of get to experience all of that together. But being proud of who you are is your, your skin color is only one thing Respect. that right. uh, that defines you. And so how do you find the other parts of yourselves that are valuable and worthy of looking and yeah, you know, we we do get as a blended family, we get a ton of um <laughs> we get a ton of comments and compliments and we do we used to get the looks a lot more than we do now. There's been uh, Brad and Angelina helped a lot with that, with all their multicolor <laughs> families on magazine covers. <laughs> mm-hmm. But usually the people that ask a lot of questions are food servers or people where you see us all together kind of mm-hmm. contained in a place. Um, most of the time the questions or the inquiries are, um, are, are meant to be like, they have a story to tell you related to like, Oh, are you foster parents? Because my parents were, or, um, but sometimes they're insensitive you know, like, are these all your children? And, mm-hmm. um, like Maddie's actually become one of the best per- people at answering some of those <laughs> inquiries. There. What do your Was answers w-
1: look like?
2: Let's just say <laughs> it's it's I I just say it, the first thing that comes to my mind,
1: which is sometimes. usually
2: <laughs> it's not very nice sometimes, oh. <laughs> but it's to get my point across as it doesn't matter if that's my mom it doesn't matter if, she, if that's my stepmom you know if i'm with her she's with me that's none of your business basically i mean wow. we've we went to the store one day and mom had me and uh the adopted kids and we were all shopping and the lady goes are these all your kids and mom was oh and mom was just uh joking around and i kind of Politely told her that she had lipstick on her teeth and she needed to be quiet. (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) Well, that sounds like a great place to stop for our break. We'll be back with more of the fascinating story of Heather and Maddie. You've been listening to Fostering Hope on KMBZ. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm your host, Nathan Ross, with my co host, Jennifer Townsend. Hello. And we've been talking with Maddie and Heather Sake, mother and daughter, about their experiences prior to coming uh, into each other's lives and now the first years of them being together. And so, right before break, we were talking about some racial tension and being African American for Maddie and having white parents. And so, you've been in the home for about six to eight months. Uh, so, Heather, what was it like you- you went through and adopted even with some of those racial tensions and disconnects what What was that process like
0: um actually uh the court system sets up um there has to be a trial to terminate a parent's rights it doesn't just happen automatically, and so even though okay. dad was incarcerated, um he still had the right to oppose the adoption and he did and so the court typically orders mediation where you and the birth parent get together and see if you can agree on kind of signing the papers or letting this go. Uh, Sometimes you agree to like exchange pictures or Mm -hmm. letters or how you're going to be involved in each other's lives going forward. And the idea of that is that it saves the court the time and the cost of a trial, and uh, the trials are pretty degrading Mm -hmm. to a birth parent. And so if mediation can work, it's a great resolution. And so Dad was in Jackson County Jail, and so we had to do mediation where he was. And I was... um, it was not my, my best moment. I was very annoyed, annoyed with having to do mediation. I, you know, he had a 15 year sentence facing him. And for me, this, you know, my thoughts were, and i embarrassed of them now, but my thoughts were at this time was, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, I have your daughter's sister. It makes sense. They're going to be adopted. I, you don't have anything to say. You are getting a long sentence. I'm kind of doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. You should. Why are you dragging me? I don't have a free lawyer. You have mm-hmm. a free lawyer. You're kind of wasting my time. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just sign the papers and get it over with? But he didn't. We didn't we couldn't have an exchange with that. So it was really just my own kind of my attitude going into this. And you have to go into the jail and of course I am having you, I'm to, sorry.
1: Did you know why he didn't sign? Uh,
0: no, we didn't know at that time. It was oh, just okay. kind of like I don't I, my thought, my uh-huh. assumption, which was so wrong, was just He doesn't have anything else to do because he's sitting in jail. So he's going to make this take as long as he can possibly Mm -hmm. do because he's bored and has nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you that Maddie's dad taught me some of the most amazing lessons that I've learned in foster care because we got to the jail and we have a court reporter, stenographer, mediators, lawyers, all these people that are on my dime because I want to be the one to adopt her. Mm -hmm. And we get upstairs and, They bring him in in his orange jumpsuits and he's all chained up and he's, you know, it's, it's still a super degrading place for people to be. Mm -hmm. And it's our first time meeting him and I, he wouldn't look at us and I looked at him and he had Maddie's face. Like he, Maddie very much resembles her dad and that made me like him right away. And I started with the, oh man, what am I doing? Like, why am I, why have I been so arrogant about It's just hurry up and get this over with. Like this Mm -hmm. should be an easy decision. The lawyers started all their lawyer talk, and the dad said, "I don't. You can all stop talking. I'm going to sign the papers." And he looked at me. They had to chain him to the table and the wall, and it just the processes are so not humanizing. And Mm -hmm. so, but he was Maddie's. He had Maddie's face looking at me, and tears are running down his face. And he said, "I, I'm sorry to make you go through all of this stuff." He said, "I, I just need." You to, I needed to meet you, mm-hmm. the people that are going to raise my daughter. She's my my only daughter, and I need to know if you'll promise me three things if I sign the papers. He said, I, I need you to promise that you'll have her finish school. He mm-hmm. said, I want you to give her the life that I won't be able to give her. I need you to have her finish school. I need you to um, make sure that you always tell her that I love her mm-hmm. and that this was not an easy decision for me and that I did not – throw her away like trash and that I did everything I could to fight it to the last possible minute and that I checked you out as best as I could to make sure you would be good people for her and that this was not easy and I need you to make sure that she doesn't fall back into the life that she comes from. And I now I'm, you know, about yay big because here I've been thinking, the sign, this paper, get it over, and the reality is it's her dad was much more focused on her well-being and was actually being the better parent in those moments than I as a professional parent was being. And so uh, humility became a, a different way of life for me after meeting Maddie's birth dad and getting that handed back to me because for me it was kind of a done deal and mm-hmm. you should be grateful. And the reality is, is that her for his family had to come apart in order for our family to come together. And the reality, the significance of that should never be lost on mm-hmm. adoptive families or birth families. And so we had a lot, we had some very heartfelt conversations. We talked about Maddie. We were all in agreement about no dating. Like we had mm-hmm. some of those regular parent <laughs> conversations in there. Yeah. Um, and it was it, but it was very, her dad did a, did a very gracious thing for her and was, um, very upright and upstanding in the way that he approached that. And I would like to say that I probably, I would like to think that I would kick and scream and use whatever means are necessary if I was in his shoes Mm -hmm. as well. But um, those are the kind of birth parents that you want to, you want to, you know, like he's an extension of our family because we can't love Maddie and not love things about him because Mm -hmm. she's Mm -hmm. part of him. And so he might have made poor choices, but that doesn't define him but he knew he was not going to be able to parent her. And so he was gracious and giving to her at the last, at the, at the last opportunity. And so we've always shared that story with Maddie um, because it really did change how I look at the kids coming in our house. Don't come from a bubble. They come with people and connections that they have prior to coming to us. And they're not all awesome, but they're not all bad.
1: And And so that, Wow that's really heartbreaking heartbreaking story um Maddie, when did you find out about this conversation between your adoptive parents and your birth dad
2: um a couple months after I was adopted
1: after you were adopted okay, how did that affect your feelings for um Heather and Rob?
2: um I would like to say changed them, but with my actions after that I've, it didn't show that I felt Grateful for that um, It was still kind of all coming together to me About what was happening And where I was going to be And who mm-hmm. I was going to be with
1: mm-hmm. So all of that you didn't really have time to process through It sounds like you're saying didn't have time to process through Your dad's you know, conversation with your parents In a way that helped you yeah. Attach to them mm-hmm. okay. How did
2: you see that conversation at the time? Um, I saw it as An open door um, but at the same time, I kind of saw it as um, never seeing my dad again. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. kind of saw that as him saying goodbye to me in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, later on, I would come to figure out that it was never goodbye. It was more as a let's start over. Mm-hmm. Sort of
1: thing. Mm-hmm. And, and were you mad at anyone because of that conversation? Did you feel mad at your dad? Did you feel mad at Heather and Rob at the um, system?
2: Deep down inside, I did feel mad at my dad for signing the papers but at the same time i was kind of glad that i got to start over and and live a new life and be with my sister you know that i never knew i had and it was it was kind of eye opening but it was also a really sad and depressing time in my life
1: okay yeah and yeah that reminds me a lot of my own story and i know when i was coming into care i felt that as well even though my mom did horrible things I felt like it was goodbye, and I was mad at her for the leaving me, not for the stuff that she did prior to. So I think that that is an experience that lots of kids in our situation have, have definitely gone through. So uh, you touched on something that I want to I wanna pick up with when we come back from break, when you talked about the importance of, of your siblings, and you also mentioned a little bit of having a rough time. So when we come back from break, I want to get into what that looked like. Uh, Again, you've been listening to Fostering Hope on KMBZ. More when we return from break. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm Nathan Ross, the host with my co-host Jennifer Townsend. Hi, JT.
2: Hi, I'm excited to get into some nitty gritty. Yeah,
1: (laughs) we're here with Maddie and Heather Sake, mother and daughter, tackling the world of coming together in a foster care adoption relationship. Uh, Prior to break, we were talking with both of them about uh, biological dad's rights being terminated and what that looked like. So uh, Heather, after dad signed over his rights and said, I trust you to take care of my My child, what did the adoption experience? What was that like?
0: Uh, Oh, then it just went on the normal way. You file, you get, um, you sign up your adoption subsidy. You fill all the paperwork out. It's kind of similar to anything that you have to do contracts with, buying a house, buying a car, kind of thing. It's lots of paperwork. Adoption subsidy is um, something that the state provides for adoptive parents that adopt kids out of this out of foster care in order to assist them with. Uh, The cost and care of children that you have committed a permanent obligation to or committed to a permanent relationship with includes Medicaid, um, which covers your medications, psych services, any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then a very small uh, monetary subsidy. Missouri is actually the 48th lowest paying state for foster and adoption care subsidy. So it's... um, it's not very much money. I think it works out to like $9 a day or so something. So no one's getting into like this that.
1: because they want to get rich.
0: Oh, my gosh. No. It, no.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Um, absolutely not. So so adoption subsidy, we did all the contracts, and then it's a court proceeding, and it's actually kind of anticlimactic. The it The euphoria actually occurs when they select you and you kind of know that it's going to go through versus the actual court hearing. It feels just like any other court hearing. But we do get all dressed up, and we everyone misses school because it would be the same way as if I was having a baby or you were mm-hmm. having a baby. You celebrate with your family at the location. It just happens at the courthouse instead of in a hospital room. And then we have some family traditions. We go to Crown Center, and we eat at Fritz's and watch the trains bring us milkshakes or whatever. And then we go um, do family pictures so that they can be on the wall and we just have a fun day together with our, with the permanent family. And so that's a, that's always a fun, we call it our gotcha day. And then that becomes a second, uh, kind of like their birthday. So the birthday is the day that their birth mom gave mm-hmm. them. And a gotcha day is the day that joined your that the court gave to us. Right. So And so kids kind of benefit with this gotcha day thing too. And it's really cool. It's an equally important day so, in our family. Okay.
1: So, so Maddie, you... Got adopted. What, what what was that like for you? What what did you even think about being adopted itself?
2: Um, I, w- I was excited, but um, I was kind of you know still a shaken from the, uh, everything that had happened with my dad, and mm-hmm. I was still kind of wanting, had that urge to like, I want to go home. I mm-hmm. want to go. I want to see my dad. I want to go back to my other family. Um, mm-hmm. But. Um, other than that, I was super excited for adoption day. It got set back a couple of times, which kind of like belittled my confidence about it. Okay. Um yeah. But it was really, it was a really cool experience, and if I could, I would do it again.
1: So you said your adoption day got pushed back several times. Yeah. Did that ever make you feel like it wasn't going to happen, or that they were going to all of a sudden move your family somewhere else?
2: Yeah. Um, after the second one, I was talking to mom and dad, I'm like, the judge hates me. They don't want me oh, to get no. adopted and I was super scared. And then finally the last time she's like, Okay, we're we're actually gonna do it this time and I was kinda like, Are you sure this is not like a setup or yeah. nothing? But it was it was really cool once we actually got to do it. And um like I said, if I could I would do it again. It was an awesome
1: experience. And so we we hear often and I know from my own personal experience people assume that getting adopted is kind of the that's what makes the the sun come out the clouds part and then everyone again is just happy-go-lucky and even from maddie hearing you talk i know you've you've talked quite a bit even today about the com the complexity of being excited but also very much working through still what all happened how did that present itself in your family were you just talking to your parents like hey i'm feeling really sad today or were there other ways you were showing them that you were going through some complex trauma
2: um, I did show it in very strange, scary ways. Oh, um, okay. I lit the bathroom on fire because...
1: Um, I'm sorry, you, you lit the bathroom on I, fire?
2: I did. I got a group of towels, and I hit a lighter the night before, and I went in the bathroom and set them on fire. Um, so and this then, was premeditated? Yeah, this was planned out. This was actually planned out, but i i had a reason i thought
1: okay. <laughs> i'm I thought, very curious to hear. <laughs> me
0: too
2: <laughs> so it was i was little now i was like in like fifth grade so i thought i'm part native american native americans start fires very good and they get what they want starting fires so i set a fire hoping that they would just drop the adoption burn the papers and then send me with my dad um uh, and then I'd be able to go home and, you know, live my own life and maybe visit Molly once in a while, but that did not work out like I planned. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so for you, you were using your culture <laughs> to try to move your family back to your dad. And so at this time, you still thought you, it was possible for you to live with your dad.
2: I, I actually did. I okay. was, I was willing to wait at oh, that point
1: wow. for him. To okay. Go. And so even though you were excited about being adopted, you still had times that you wanted to undo the adoption just so you could go home. Mm -hmm. So Heather (laughs) – how was this bathroom lit, lit on fire incident? How did that play out for the parents? You
0: know that's never, that's never good. it's never good, no? never a fun time when that happens. <laughs> was it like the
1: whole house burned. Like, what no, is the bathroom. Just the bathroom. Fire? bathroom. What is that local Just, look just like? the
0: bathroom. The the towels, and I think it caught the shower curtain a little bit, and of course that causes a you know a huge stress reaction because here I can imagine. You know, you've adopted. We, it, she wasn't the first kid we had adopted. I think she was number five, and so this was a we We expect behaviors after you adopt kids because that's really a typical time uh they kind of sometimes have been riding a honeymoon to get to the adoption, and then it's kind of like no giveies back like we right. talked about earlier that this is a like you're here now and this is kind of how it is and Maddie was struggling in other areas too, but fire starting was um when we started fostering there were two things that we said we didn't want kids to do one was kids that sexually act out on other kids and yes you know lower safety and kids that light fires and holy smokes <laughs> now we had adopted a kid that lit a fire and so did she we, know
1: this prior to no with no, fire? no no Amazing. no
0: she didn't know that and so no. we were like well i guess there goes that requirement we can check that one off the list and so <laughs> um again it's one of those things you just like you she had no fire starting history there was not you know so it was really just a a show of anger. So then it was, we are going to have to learn to work on words. And at the same time she was doing that stuff, she was also trying to figure out, she, she had. She still had this understanding that she was in care because of the abuse that her father mm-hmm. inflicted on her. And mm-hmm. so when she got some consequences, obviously for lighting a fire,
1: Naturally. no 10 or 11
0: year old wants to have any kind of consequences, right. especially when she thinks this is a righteous move for her own survival so consequences are like an insult on top of injury (laughs) to her. (laughs) at that point she made comments to Robbie like you better stop talking to me or I'll have you put in jail too and don't think I don't know how to do it and you kind of go whoa what is what is that what what was that and she didn't that was when we figured out like that she really didn't have any pieces and that her team had not been very forthcoming with her. So we went back and asked the team, like, why does she think she's, we asked her why she thought she was in care. And she said, cause my dad beat me and now he's in jail. So you better watch out because I know how to make this happen. And that empowerment entitlement is not an abnormal Mm -hmm. behavior, but it came at a, with usually you hear that kind of prior before adoption. You would Mm -hmm. hear some of that. You get that behavior during foster care times. And so,
1: Oh, sorry. I I just actually was thinking about, Um, you you mentioned Maddie that you could get him put in jail and you thought that your dad abused your dad's abuse of you is what led to you being in care. Were you ever fearful that Robbie and Heather um, would abuse you? Did you feel like there was a safety issue because of what you had suffered prior to coming to their home?
2: Um, With my dad, Robbie? Yes, because he was the male. Mm -hmm. And so getting my abuse coming from my dad, I was like almost more than certain that it was gonna happen from right. him if anyone. Um but after living with them for a while, I kinda saw that he was he to me was like the woman in the relationship. Like mom <laughs> was mom was the He was <laughs> the gentler, way. is yeah, that what he you're was trying gentler. to say. <laughs> okay um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> um and gonna that's that when i i kind of like backed off him and really started trying to poke at mom oh, okay
1: yeah. the best that
2: i could to see if she would just give up
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and that's what everything that i did that was negative towards them was mostly to to get them to that point where they were like okay go like we don't even care anymore but they never got to that point and I'm really actually still amazed to this day on why they did not like give me up.
1: So you tried very hard, multiple things to get them to say we're done with you Mm -hmm. and they never did. Mm -mm. Did you ever feel like that they were close to giving up?
2: Um, there's a couple of times where we had like, I had a therapist and I thought that was like the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. Like I did not like therapy, therapy sessions. Um, there's a couple of times where they talked about like um, putting me in Crittenton and stuff. And I was like, okay, if I go there, you know, they must really be giving up, but Mm -hmm. they never, they never even like had a second thought about it. They were like, no, we're not doing that to her. Like she's staying here. That's what she wants is to get away. So we're keeping her with us. And, that was a big bummer then, but like now that I think about it, I'm kind of glad that, that they didn't do that because I feel like it would have really changed my perspective on everything.
1: And you said Crittenton? Yes. Yeah. is a residential facility for kids yep. with yep. high um, emotional trauma. Yep. Okay, wow. So, the the superhero duo, Heather and Robbie, <laughs> made it through the fire starting and the accusations in order to get princess maddie into their home (laughs) and stable very very compelling stuff and when we come back from break i definitely want to dive a little more into this and start wrapping up with that connection piece again you've been listening to fostering hope on kmbz we'll be back with more after our quick commercial break Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm Nathan Ross, the host of this great show here with my co-host, partner in crime, Jennifer Townsend. Hello. Hey, JT. <laughs> we made it through four weeks and we're gonna going to keep going strong, right? There yep. we go. All right. We've been talking with Maddie and Heather Sake about their experience coming together as a family. Maddie being the daughter of Robbie and Heather Sake. And before break, we were talking about some of those behaviors and things that Maddie attempted in order to get out of the Sakes' home. And so, my question for you, um, we'll start with you, Heather, is when did it click for you? When did Maddie really become your daughter? When did you feel like this adoption is she's our family?
0: I think that um, parenting kids that aren't born to you is a is a conscious choice like it's a it's a decision that you make and you go into it There's a contract that you sign with government agents it's a It's kind of a a unique way to develop a a relationship. And I don't think that adoption, the adoption the event itself makes you automatically have love in your heart for a kid. I think that that grows over time. It starts when you're fostering them mm-hmm. um, and then it moves into something different. Uh, I'm pretty type a, and so parenting, challenging kids is, um, a competition that I don't, is a is sign, kind of a competition when she's giving you behaviors like that and that pushback and she's mm-hmm. kind of daring you to give up is when uh, there is no option to give up at that point. So, signing the adoption papers and making the commitment in front of the judge means there is no ease back as far as I'm concerned. So, then it is now how will we get through the testing? Kind of sounds like almost like marriage. Kind of, yes, a lot like marriage actually, mm-hmm. and your your commitment, your vows that you make in front of the judge with the kid are very similar to that actually, and so um, mm-hmm. just like i don't I don't believe in giving up on a marriage either, mm-hmm. then this relationship is also mm-hmm. um one of those ones that is a permanent relationship in your life and will last until one of us takes our last breath, and so whatever she was gonna throw at me wasn't going to throw us off mm-hmm. of being her parents, and so I think you know, you get frustrated and annoyed and stressed out with some of the behavior that kids give you. But for, um, for all of my kids, that feeling, the feeling comes secondary when you start to see them settle, when you start to see them not settle for less, but settle in and become comfortable with their themselves um, and they're willing to be vulnerable with you and, and make those relationship overtures also. And so I think for Maddie, there wasn't really a time when I... Was in when I fell in love with her. It was one of those. It's just a feeling that I can't remember not being in my body. I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember a time when I didn't have love for her that is unconditional. There's not anything that she could ever do that would make me not want to be her mom. That would make me Mm -hmm. say, "Oh my gosh, you're too much." Well, do you Um,
1: do you remember any proud mama stories then? Maybe so, like the where you're like, "I'm her mom. That's my daughter." Yeah, there was you know. a, we get,
0: as a as a I, people from a different race. We get a lot of those challenges. Um, when when Maddie when Maddie defends our family, when Maddie bristles up behind me and says she puts her face up next to mine, and she's pretty dark complected, and I'm pretty white. When she puts her face up next to me and says, "I don't know why they can't see that we go together, Mom." Like <laughs> like duh to people. It really there's a there's a good feeling that happens there because that's something that she's learned having been in our house, that race is not an issue. And we've had lots of conversations about race and um, about our differences, but also about our similarities. And what we find is that, you know, the outsides aren't really what matter. It Mm -hmm. really is about what we share on the inside. And Maddie is a great person that has um, developed some good values and I have a lot of hope for what's going to be her, her future outlooks, like what's going to, happened for her she's an she was not always an easy kid to love but she's mm. an easy kid to love right now
1: that's awesome okay <laughs> so so maddie I, I have the same question for you when did it click that robbie and heather were mom and dad for you
2: um a couple months after the adoption when they actually kind of helped me get through what actually happened to get me where i was and not what i had thought had happened uh because it really per- changed my per Exception of my dad um it changed how i felt about him not i was still i still consider myself a daddy's girl to this day like i love him mm-hmm. with everything um but it did kind of get me to put up a guard wall with mm-hmm. when it came to a relationship with him mm-hmm. um and shortly after like my 11th birthday when he said he would call every birthday he would call um you know holidays to check in with me and he would only call on father's day because that was a day about him and me Mm. and his relationship on Mm -hmm. his day. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where it kind of like clicked. like that's not what I want for a dad. You know, I've been living with Rob and Heather and you know, they treat me as I'm their daughter. Like I was, I came from her, like I'm part of them. And Mm -hmm. that's where it started to click (laughs) is when I started getting distance and distant from my dad. Um, and that's kind of where I figured out like this is where I want to be. Like I don't want to be there where I'm kind of unsure of what we have. I'm 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 good here where I know that I'm always safe and I always know what I can get and the love that I have in this family.
1: And when we were on break, I you know talked to you about how for me it was really hard. Um, I didn't grow up with a dad, so calling my dad when I was adopted, dad, was a lot easier for me. But the attachment I had to my birth mom made it extremely hard to call my adoptive mom, mom. Did you have similar experiences with Rob and Heather? Um,
2: I going to Disney World. I I was able to call him like anything,
1: like, mom, dad, <laughs> mom,
2: yeah, I'll like, call you anything. whatever you want, yeah. Um, but when it when I really the first time that I really like said and actually meant it is after all the craziness with me trying to get him sent off to jail and all this stuff and you know school is coming up and he's buying me like all this stuff and it wasn't mm-hmm. really the material things it was more like he really cared about like you need you have do you have this for school because you need to have this you know mm-hmm. you're, you're fifth grade you know you're about to graduate and go to the sixth grade and middle school and like he always had my back Like even through school, when I went through a name change and everything, and my friends were against me. My dad was always right there with me talking to teachers like, you need to have her back on this because she can't do it by herself. You know, like he was always he's like my backbone, like he's always there for me and can do like fix the littlest of things.
1: So those moments when your parents just showed up and they were there and they had your back and advocated for Mm -hmm. you, really for you helped you get to that place where, yep, you're my mom, you're not. Heather and Rob anymore, you're my mom and dad yeah. and I'm proud of yeah. that that's that's really amazing that's <laughs> mm-hmm. really amazing um, and so was the same feeling for Heather I mean I know you didn't have a good relationship with your birth mom, did you feel the same when
2: yeah when um, my mom you? was kind of the one that toughened me up and not like <laughs> tough and tough but you know she kind of got me, got my head straight um, kind of helped me see things differently than what I did see them Um, she did open my eyes to the tons of possibilities in life that I could be. And she just showed me that there's so much more out there in the world than, you know, having anger and hate in your heart for things that you cannot change, um, that are stuck in the past, honestly. Um, and she helped me find ways to cope, to get over that anger and all that, all those emotions that I built up.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. I could listen to you guys talk about your story forever, but unfortunately we are almost out of time. So I just want to thank you both so much for being here with us the last three weeks Um, and look forward to hearing from you guys again when we start talking about what the future looks like for you all. Uh, So this is you've been listening to Fostering Hope brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect, a comprehensive regional support and advocacy center for abused and neglected children and the families caring for them. To learn how to become a foster parent or how you can help vulnerable kids in other ways, visit us at fosteradopt.org or follow Foster Adopt Connect on Facebook or Twitter. And also, please feel free to send us any questions you have. We're always happy to hear from you. Until next week, we'll talk to you later.